0: in the Holy Spirit, because we definitely need help in what we're doing. And so I'm just not going to make any kind of excuses for what we're going to do right now. We're going from high school to college. Okay. So it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. So just stay with me. If you're taking notes, I would say, don't even bother. Just listen to it again and take notes later because this is going to be rapid fire in your face. So here we go. You ready? Okay. Here we go. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witness, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. What are you going to receive? What's the power for? Oh, okay, just want to make sure you're all there because I'm going to step on some toes this morning. Jesus said you'll receive power. That word is the word ability. It's dunamis. It means ability. You have the ability. So when God gives you ability, that means you have the ability to respond to what he wants you to do. That's called responsibility, right? So when God equips you with something, as somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit, you bring your A game. Worship team, you bring your A game. People in kids zone and in youth group, you bring your A game. You don't give God second best. You don't give God what's left over, right? Because he's given you power to be a witness. That's what it's all about, being a witness. Okay, Jesus is basically saying, because he said earlier, don't leave Jerusalem until you are filled with power. He's basically saying, don't do Jesus stuff without the stuff that Jesus needed to do Jesus stuff. Right? You can't live this Christian life. You can't have that kind of ability without the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is saying, listen, don't try to do this on your own initiative. This is the anointing that comes from heaven and you need that anointing. Young people, you need the anointing. Let's go on. Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, right, they're hanging out with Jesus. Jesus ascends, says, don't leave Jerusalem. Ten days later, he says, you're going to receive power not many days later. Ten days later, pray. They prayed on day one, day two, day three, day four. praying, praying, praying. Day nine, day 10, boom. Suddenly, there comes a noise. Not a wind, a noise. There comes a noise like a violent rushing wind. It's like they're sitting inside of a jet engine, right? And it fills the whole house where they were sitting. What filled the house? Not a wind, a noise, Okay, and then it says, and there appeared unto them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves and resting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. It's scriptural. Let's just stop right there. Okay, I'm just really, I'm just getting tired of people. "Eh, Tongue stuff freaks me out. I don't like tongues. It's in the Bible. It's scriptural. You either go with it or you don't. Okay, but it's there. So let's just deal with it. So let's look at it. What's it for? Power. What's the power for? So it's all about growing the church. It's all about growing the kingdom. So let's take a look as we go in Acts chapter 2 a little bit further. Praising God and having favor all the people. The Lord was adding to their number day by day that who's being saved. So what's happening? They're empowered to be a witness. They're sharing. They're talking. They're, they're in people's faces saying you must be saved. And people are getting saved. Day by day, people are getting saved. Isn't that awesome? So in other words, the Holy Spirit wasn't to come to an altar call and have a feel-good experience. <gasps> Ooh, snap. No, it was for power to be a witness. We go in Acts chapter um, 5, verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes, men and women, were constantly added to their number. What's happening? Church growth, Holy Spirit, church growth. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God kept spreading. The number of the disciples continued, increased greatly in Jerusalem, and even many of the priests were becoming uh, obedient to the faith. So they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit, they're being bold witnesses because there's an enabling that's giving them that ability to do that, and they have the responsibility to do it, and people are getting saved. It's by the foolishness of preaching that people are saved, and God's added. So it's not about getting goosebumps. Oh, like I was in a service and I felt the Holy Spirit. I had goosebumps. It's not about your goosebumps, it's about power to be a witness. All right. So, what happens after that? Acts chapter 8, verse 1. So Saul was in heartily agreement to putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began in the church. I, but, 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 but what? What? Why, why? A persecution began? No, I don't. I didn't sign up for that. I don't want persecution. If you're going to be real about Jesus, and if you're going to be a bold witness, guess what? Not everybody's going to like that. And do you know who won't like it the most? The established church. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Therefore, those who have been scattered went about preaching the word of God. They're scattering, but they're still doing what the Holy Spirit is enabling them and equipping to do. They're preaching the word of God. I'll tell you why we don't have that kind of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because when we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we individuals think, I want more of the Spirit. But the Spirit is thinking, I want more of you. And that's what we don't like. And that's where we stop. And that's where things grind to a halt. So Philip goes down to Samaria. Philip is a deacon filled with the Holy Spirit. He takes a trip down to Samaria. He starts preaching the word of God. Let's look what happens. Acts chapter 9, 31. So the church throughout all of Judea and, and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, going on in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's continuing to increase, increase. It becomes known all over Joppa, and many people believe. What's happening in the book of Acts? The book of Acts is the history book of the early church. It's the history book for about the first 25 years of the history of the church. And what we read, and it lasts about 21 years, and what we, what we read is that more and more, and this thing's exploding. Why is it exploding? Because they're a Pentecostal church. The book of Acts was a Pentecostal church, hands down. So everything's going. So we get into Acts chapter 10. More people, Gentiles are now saved. Gentiles are now baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this thing is going and blowing. Acts chapter 13, Saul of Tarsus, a bad guy, becomes, uh, becomes uh, the Apostle Paul, a good guy. Transformation. And he starts preaching all over the world. Everything starts to change. And then he goes up into the regions of Ephesus. And it says this. This is now 21 years after Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was originally poured out. And it says this, it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and he found some disciples there and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay, so right now, let's clarify a couple things because a lot of people think, well, when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. Well, that's true. But why would Paul ask that question if it was automatic? If it was automatic that when you get saved you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, why would Paul ask a question like that? He would obviously know that you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit the minute you get saved. Obviously, you don't receive the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit the minute you're saved. Or else he would never would have asked that. But you know what he you know what he is demonstrating by asking that? That it's expected. He's expecting them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit after they're saved. Why? Because everyone needs that power, that enabling, that equipping to do what God wants us to do. So it says, so it says, did you receive the spirit when you believe? They said, no, we've never even heard if there was Holy Spirit. And he said to them, and then what were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized you, um, With the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe on him who was coming, that is Jesus. You remember John the Baptist said, one's coming, right? You pointing to him. All they heard was John's baptism. They got baptized, but they're looking for Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if we just stop there, that's a great story. If we just stop there, hallelujah, people are getting saved. These guys get saved And they're water baptized, but it doesn't end there, does it? Verse 6 And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in other tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men, so they did not get baptized in the Holy Spirit when they got saved, but Paul expected them to, and he laid his hands on them, and then they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They spoke in other tongues. This is 21 years after the original outpouring in Acts chapter 2. People are still getting saved. People are still getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. People are still speaking in other tongues. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is given to the church. And as long as the church is in the world, the Holy Spirit is going to be filling believers. Polycarp was a disciple of John, the apostle who writes the Gospel of John in the book of Revelation, Polycarp in his writings talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. As does Origen, Ignatius, Arrhenius, Justin, Patrick of Ireland, Francis Assisi, Teresa of Avila, Francis Xavier, Martin Luther, the Quakers, the Waldensians, John, uh, John and Charles Wesley of the early Methodists. Guess what they write in their history? Fill with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues. It never left. 1904, a little Bible school in Topeka, Kansas. They start saying, what would be the evidence that we could know people were filled with the Holy Spirit? They go away for Christmas break. They come back. All of the students say the same thing. According to the book of Acts, people started speaking in other tongues. Let's seek that. Revival breaks out. It goes through the south, back up into uh, uh, Azusa Street, Los Angeles, California, where a black man by the name of Jane Seymour, blind in one eye, starts preaching this Pentecostal blessing, and all heaven breaks out. I mean, one of the greatest revivals ever. And let me just say something about the Assemblies of God. They were the first Christian denomination in the United States to ordain minorities and women, even before women had the right to vote. That's something that's awesome. I'm proud to be an Assemblies of God minister, right? That's something that's awesome. So in 1914, the Assemblies of God are born. They commit themselves to the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen. 117 years later, there are 368,000 churches, over 55.5 million people in 190 countries. Wow, that's awesome. And yet, 60 million people a year die and perish and go into a Christless eternity. 60 million people every year going to hell every year. You see, revival is not going to come into this country without the Holy Spirit. It's just not. And do we need revival? (sighs) Dear Lord. So let's clear up some doctrinal confusion about this, and let's just jump in. Here we go. Two main ministries of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at them. John tells us. John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Savior. Has that ended? People are still getting saved? Awesome, right? Then he goes on and he says this in verse 33. He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remains upon him, this is the one that baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. So that's the twofold ministry of Jesus. He's Savior and he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's still saving. Do you think he's still baptizing people in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely. If that ever ended, I would like to know when. I would also like to know why, because it's something that's given to the church. As a matter of fact, the scriptures clearly say in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he was doing it yesterday, he's still doing it today. And as long as the church is going, he will keep on doing it however long the church is in the world today. So Philip goes to Samaria. Philip starts preaching. Look what happens. Acts eight verse twelve, when they believed, Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. Let me just stop right there. When they believed, how are people saved? Faith alone in Christ alone. Period. No other additions. Faith alone in Christ alone. But you got to stop. The, uh, 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 uh. But you can't. uh, uh, uh. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's how people are saved. And what is Philip preaching? The kingdom of God. Philip's preaching a kingdom and the name of Jesus. That's what we preach. We don't preach, well, Jesus will forgive your sins and you get saved and go to heaven. It's not about going to heaven. It's about entrance into a new kingdom that has been established. It is, It has come, it is coming, and it will come in fulfillment. And we have entrance into a kingdom, not a church. We have entrance into a kingdom where Jesus rules over our hearts. It's an individual, personal relationship that each one of us has with Christ personally. So when they believed, Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. That's good news. And Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Hallelujah. Great story. Great story. People are getting saved. People are getting baptized. That's a great story if it ended there. But it doesn't end there, because in the next couple of verses, it said this, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had yet not fallen on them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you cannot see in that verse a distinction between being saved and water baptized and the baptism in the Holy Spirit then I don't know what you're seeing because that is as clear as clear can be. They're saved, they're baptized, later on they're filled. Same thing with the the disciples in in Ephesus. They're saved, they're baptized, later on they're filled. So it is not the same. It's not one of the same. So when you hear people say, well, I I got baptized when I was saved. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was saved. No, not a nine, no. Okay. So let's look at clearing up some problems. Here's a problem it's just for the apostles. That was just for the apostles. Okay, well, how many? How many apostles are there? Well, technically, there's 12 apostles of the Lamb. But there are other apostles. There are apostles being sent. They're missionaries. They establish churches in other countries. They, 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 they have a governmental authority where they oversee structures of churches. So are we talking that we're talking the 12 apostles of the that, Lamb? That died out when the apostles died out. Well, there were more than the 12 apostles that were filled in the day of Pentecost, wasn't there? There was 120 in the upper room that were all filled and speaking with other tongues. Then there's the ones that are being filled when Peter and John goes down to Samaria and they're receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues. And then in Acts chapter 19, Paul is up in Ephesus, and there's more disciples receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. So is it just for the apostles? No, and we saw this scripture again here. We're you know, I'm not going to go through it again, but Paul goes up in Ephesus. Have you have you received the Holy Spirit? He's expecting. Have you this is part of the A, B. A, you get saved. B, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you had B yet? And they're like, we haven't even had A yet. Okay, well, let's take care of A. And then B comes along, and they're baptized. And then B comes along, and when he lays his hands on them, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in other tongues and prophesying. So if it's just for apostles, if it was just for the apostles, my big question is, why do I pray in other tongues? People will say, well, because that's of the devil. Oh, well, you might have me there. You might have me. Maybe maybe I am of the devil. Who knows, right? So here's the deal. Well, if that's the case, then why aren't they praying in tongues in jail? For years, I ran a jail ministry. I never heard them praying in tongues in jail. How about biker gangs? How come the Hells Angels uh, and, and the Outlaws uh, and, and the Diablos? How come they're not speaking in other tongues? How about street gangs? How come MS-13? How come the Crips? How come the Bloods? How come they're not praying in other tongues? If it's of the devil... Right, I would think the devil's kids would pray in tongues if it's of the devil. So let's clear that up. It's not just about the original twelve. We see that even in the history of the book of Acts in the Bible that more and more and more and more people are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the church is growing because the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for power to make us witnesses. And guess what happens when we witness? People get saved. Church grows. It's for expansion. It's for growing. Okay. Now it's going to get complicated, so stick with me. They cease. Tongues is tongues are going to cease. Pastor, I can prove tongues is going to cease. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it'll be done away with. Wow. Well, let's clear this up. When are they going to be done away with? I'd like to know when. Because they weren't done away with 21 years after the original outpouring when those 12 men in Ephesus got filled with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues. It wasn't done away then. So when is it going to be done away with? Well, Paul goes on in the very next verse, verses 9 and 10, and he says this. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. So now he's going to start telling us, when are they going to be done away with? It's not going to be done away with until the perfect comes. Well, what's the perfect? Well, people said, well, the perfect was the Bible. When the Bible was canonized, which the Bible was finally completed, canonized in the year 393 we had the full copy of the scriptures. When that happened, we didn't need this other stuff. That passed away. Seriously, is that what Jesus preached? Did Jesus preach the coming of a book? Anywhere, anywhere, anywhere? Is that what the disciples look for? Jesus, when are we going to get the book? As a matter of fact, you never hear in the Bible or in church history anything about a book was even coming. That's not even on the radar. What were they looking for? You go back to Acts chapter one, verse six. When they'd come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What was it that Philip was preaching? The kingdom, the kingdom. Did Jesus say, pray this prayer? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Bible come on earth as it is in heaven. No, thy kingdom come on earth. Jesus preached the kingdom. Paul preached the kingdom. The disciples preached the kingdom. Philip preached the kingdom. <laughs> When the kingdom comes, yeah, we're not going to need the gifts of the Spirit. We're not going to need prophecy and tongues and healing and things like that. When the millennial reign of Christ comes, we're not going to need any of that kind of stuff. So, did tongues cease when the Bible came? No. Because he also says knowledge is going to cease. Sometimes we look at Washington and we wonder, but it hasn't, he goes on and he says this, 1 Corinthians 13:12, for we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Right now we're struggling because we don't quite grasp everything. You know, we're in this we're in this conflict, we're in this fallen world and we're in this flesh that we wrestle with and, and there's evil spirits that are always oppressing us. He says, but then we're going to see face to face. I know in part, but then I'll be known even as I have been fully known when the kingdom comes. When the kingdom comes, Jesus and the new kingdom I'm not going to need to prophesy then. I'm not going to need to speak in tongues then. The kingdom will have come. As a matter of fact, this is exactly what Paul talks about at the very beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. I want to make sure you're not lacking in any gifts now while you're eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all happening now, but we're looking for something better. So will they cease? No, no, no. Has tongues ceased? No. Okay, another one. Not everyone speaks in tongues. Not everyone has to speak in tongues. <clears throat> Pastor, I can prove to you out of the scriptures not everyone speaks in tongues. First Corinthians 12, 28 and 30. God has appointed in the church first apostles, prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Mm, okay, next verse. All are not apostles, are they? Rhetorical question, no. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? No. All are not workers of miracle, no. All do not have a gift of healing, no. All do not speak in tongues, no. All do not interpret, no. But look at something. He's linking this speaking in tongues with interpretation, Because there's two different things. There's tongues, which is the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then there's tongues, which is a gift to the local church. Look at what Paul talks about. when we talk, You see, the book of Acts, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking out of their tongues, the growth of the church. Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, the gifts of the Spirit, nothing to do with the growth of the church. Look at what Paul says at the very beginning of chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts. What's he talking about? Spiritual gifts. What's he not talking about? The baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be unaware. Verse 4, there are a variety of gifts. Verse 13, Earnestly desire the greater gifts. What's he talking about? Gifts, 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 gifts. Verse 30, all do not have the gifts of healing, which is one of the gifts, do they? All do not speak in tongues, no. All do not interpret, no. Because he's talking about a gift and not the evidence. This is so clear. This is so, so clear. So look at look at it this way. In Mark chapter 16... Jesus said, believers will lay hands on the sick and pray for them and they will recover. We all have that right and that, that privilege and that honor to lay hands on the sick and pray for them. And yet one of the nine gifts of the Spirit is the gifts of healing. Do you all have that? No. But we can all pray for the sick, right? Yeah. Do we all have the gifts of healing, which is a supernatural quantum leap of operating that gift? Why? Because it's a gift. Okay. The Bible says, to every man was given the measure of faith. We all have faith, right? And yet one of the nine gifts of the Spirit is the gift of faith. What's that all about? Do, do all, Does everybody have that gift? No. Do we all have faith? Yes. Do we all have the gift of faith? No. Okay. So we can pray for the sick, but we don't have the gift of healings. We can have faith, but we don't have the gift of faith. We can have the evidence of speaking in tongues, being filled with the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean that everyone has the gift of tongues, which is used in a local church setting. And not everybody has that gift. Not everybody has that. That should help you. I hope that clears things up a little bit, right? So in Acts, we see people receiving the Holy Spirit and they're speaking. And notice this. Nowhere in the book of Acts, five instances in the book of Acts where people are filled with the Holy Spirit, three of them emphatically says that the evidence was tongues, two of them it's clearly implied, five instances, and never once in any of those instances does anybody talk about it should only be two or three at the most, and there must be an interpreter. Interesting. Interesting. Why? Because Acts is about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, where you'll receive power to be a witness, and it's all about church growing. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is about a gift that's used in a church. That's why Paul is writing to a church, talking about the gifts that are being used there. So let's look, first of all, at the similarities between the two, because there's five distinct uh, uh, things that are similar. First of all, speech is used. Whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you speak in other tongues, or whether you have that special gift to bring forth a message in a local church setting, there's language. Speech is used in that setting. Number two, the mind is not discerning. Your mind doesn't really know what's being spoken about. That's why Paul said somebody should interpret it if it's given in a setting where everybody hears a specific message. Thirdly, the human spirit in both cases is under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But not the human voice box. That's something you control. They were filled in the Holy Spirit and they spoke in other tongues. Some people don't speak in other tongues because they're waiting for God like to grab their tongue, pull it out of their body, and start to, And that ain't gonna happen. You've got to use, you've got to let it come out. Rivers of living water, Jesus said, will flow out of our belly. Thus he spoke of the Holy Spirit, John chapter seven. Number four, both have an element of prophecy. And 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 prophecy isn't about telling the future. Prophecy is about declaring the things of God. Old Testament prophecy may have an element of telling the future. But New Testament is more about just proclaiming, just preaching is is prophecy. Witnessing is prophetically speaking the things of God. And lastly, both praise and magnify God. There's an element of praise and worship that's combined. Okay, now, let's stop there and now let's look at the differences. And, and, And dear Lord, please let this clear it up for you. Because there's just no other way to unpack this, but here we go, okay? In 1 Corinthians, a letter written to a church, chapters 12, 13, and 14, the gift is not related to growth. It's not even talking about the growth of the church. It's not talking about salvation. It's not even talking about people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's talking about one thing, the edification of the church, the church becoming strengthened, and there's very specific guidelines given to that gift. In the book of Acts, we find that the theme is all about growth. We just looked at all those scriptures. Continually added, day by day, all those verses, right? There, tongues is for the purpose of onlookers to know that somebody's been filled. How do we know? We're going to get to that in just a minute. Next, On Pentecost, when Peter stands up and preach, right, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're speaking in the tongues, a big crowd gathers, people are like, what is this? What's going on? Peter stands up and preach, and he connects tongues with the evidence of the Old Testament prophecy concerning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and he goes, hey, men of Israel, this is what Joel the prophet spoke about, that in the last days I'll pour out my Spirit. They're wondering about tongues. Peter's saying, yeah, it's the outpouring of the Spirit. It's being filled with the Spirit. It'll happen to both men and women and young and old and all these things. He goes, it's for everybody. All right? When Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles, and there's a whole group of them, and when the 19 in Ephesus under Paul receive the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, nobody thought about gifts. Nobody was thinking about gifts. They were thinking about people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Going back into 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. The same way tongues are never associated with the infilling in this setting, but for the building up of the body, and it has to be interpreted. There's a difference here. There's a difference that's as clear as day and night. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul gives strict guidelines about the use of the gift of tongues in a congregational setting. He says, it is by two or three at the most. As a matter of fact, this is for all the prophetic gifts. This is for all the vocal gifts. Prophesying? Tongues and interpretation, which equals prophecy. And he says, the church, two or three at the most. I've seen some times here where we'll have a worship service and somebody will come forth with a message. Kind of gives a green light. Somebody else comes forth with a message. Then somebody else, then somebody else, then somebody else. And now we're at five. It's unscriptural. You're in error when you do that. Two or three at the most. And if it's a message in tongues, it must be interpreted. Otherwise, he says, shut your pie hole. That's what he says. He says, they must remain silent. But if you look it up in the Greek, it says, shut your pie hole. It's it's there. It's there. Right? Now, listen. Paul himself. Now, Paul. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He evangelizes the whole Mediterranean area. Paul, he's like the man. Paul, the one who in 1 Corinthians 14 says it's gotta be by two or three at the most, shut your pie hole, and then it's gotta be interpreted. Paul lays his hands on 12 men, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they start speaking in tongues, and he never chastises them. He never says, whoa, wait, wait, guys, two or three at the most, stop it. Hey, who's gonna interpret this mess? Why, because Paul knew that that was the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit and it wasn't the gifts in operation. Otherwise, he would have corrected them. Also, if tongues as a gift is evidence, now just think about this. If tongues, the gift of tongues, the nine gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, if that tongues is one of the evidences being baptized in the Holy Spirit, well, then the other eight gifts would be evidences as well. Right? Stands to reason. And yet the apostles only recognized tongues. They didn't recognize anything else as being a sign of somebody filled with the Holy Spirit. We go back to Philip in Samaria. What does it say? Philip's preaching the gospel. It says miracles, signs, and wonders are taking place. That's cool. It says people are being delivered from demons and healed from sicknesses. That's cool. It says there is great joy in the city. That's cool. And then we pick it up in verse 17. And it says this, and when they began, the apostles come down after people are getting saved left and right, because this is a revival, three ring, Barnum and Billy circus. they come down laying hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered money and said, give me this authority as well, so that everyone whom I lay my hands on them may receive the Holy Spirit as well. use deductive reasoning. What do you think Simon saw? It wasn't miracles. They were already happening. It wasn't signs and wonders. They were already happening. It wasn't people being set free from demonic possession. That was already happening. It wasn't healings. That was already happening. It wasn't people getting saved. That was already happening. It wasn't great joy because that was already happening. So what did he see? He saw what they saw in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19, that people started speaking in other tongues when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Simon is a sorcerer. He's just about smoke and mirrors, and he's about magic, and he's about, you know, um, a, a power and money. He's like, hey, I'll give you a bunch of money if you give me this, because this is really cool. And then Peter has to rebuke him and says, dude, like, what are you, what are you thinking right now? Like, that's that's just wrong. That's sad, and that's wrong. And so they saw what they saw. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 10, this will blow your mind. Peter goes to Cornelius' household, room full of Gentiles. He's preaching the gospel to them. And the next thing he knows, boom, they're all speaking in other tongues before they were baptized in water. And Peter says, how can we refuse them from being baptized in water when we see they receive the Holy Spirit? in the exact same manner that we receive the Holy Spirit. What was that? Acts chapter 2, speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 10, speaking in tongues. Evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, let me just answer a couple of questions that may be floating around in people's minds right now because uh, are you trying to tell me that I'm not saved if I don't speak in tongues? No. No. No, not at all. Because that's another thing. Like people say, oh, that's one of those churches. They say you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. No, Nina, Neen, no. Not at all. What did I say earlier? Faith alone and Christ alone, right? Faith alone and Christ alone. That's how you're saved. I don't care who you are. You know, that's how you're saved. So no. Okay. Well, some people may say, well, I don't like tongues and I don't want it. Cool. You do you. I'm a really easy-to-get-along-with guy. That's fine. Well, does that mean I'm not welcomed in that church? No. No, everybody's welcome here. I don't care. I don't even care if you're saved or not. You're welcome here. I don't care if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit or not. You're welcome here. I don't care if you have yellow, green, purple, pink hair or no hair. You're welcome here. I don't care if you're straight or if you're gay. You're welcome here. I don't care if you're holy, holy, holy or if you're a warlock. You're welcome here. Everybody's welcome here. So because I say this now, because we had a couple that was attending this church. They loved it. They loved the preaching. They loved the the, the worship. They loved everything about this church. And then I got up and I said, hey, I want to preach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we're a Pentecostal church. And they left the church because they thought I was saying, you're no longer welcome here. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm nicer than that. (laughs) I really am. Okay. Why tongues? Just real quickly, a couple of reasons. Number one, it's an external evidence. People say, well, I think I got baptized in the Holy Spirit because I had a wave of, of like heat that went through me and I was just filled with joy. Well, that's like internal. Speaking in tongues is an external, like, oh, okay, we know. It's as a matter of fact, the assemblies of God put it this way: it is the initial, not the only, it is the initial external physical evidence. Of somebody receiving the Holy Spirit. There should be a lot of other evidences, but it's it's the one that's observable. You don't have to second guess. Boom. Secondly, it's a uniform evidence. It's the same all the time. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 19. It's the same, same, same. As a matter of fact, it fits what's called in biblical interpretation the law of first mention. When something's mentioned the first time, that's the pattern set from that point on. Acts chapter 2, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues law first mentioned it goes on from there so look at what Paul says I love this one therefore I exhort you be imitators of me I would never say that but Paul can and Paul did and that's a great thing I think like when you look at Paul right he, he's like he's the guy Paul's saying listen be imitators of me as I follow Christ right I think everybody cool with that. But then Paul says this: "I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you." I thank God I speak in tongues, and if he was from southern Jerusalem, he'd say more than y'all, more than all y'all, right? So, so, and here's another thing: you know, when we go back to Romans, when we go back to Acts chapter eight, Saul of Tarsus is persecuting the church sees a bright light, hears a voice, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. I'm good with that. Blind in the eyes, he's praying for three days. Jesus appears to a guy by the name of Ananias, says, Ananias, go pray for him that he would regain his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias says, yes, sir. Goes over there, and now this is a guy who's killing Christians. He goes over there and he says, brother, brother, Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the way here sent me that you'd regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He prays for him, scales fall off his eyes, and he can see. Was he filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Did he speak in other tongues? Obviously. That's why I say there's five instances in the book of Acts. Three are right there. Two are strongly implied. I mean, I think he not any more implied than that, right? So here's the deal. I hate spending so much time on the subject of tongues, but it's the subject of so much confusion, It's the subject of why some people aren't moving forward and just seeking everything that God has for them. Young people, you don't know the onslaught that you're getting ready to face. You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit if you're going to stand for Christ. Because our country is going more and more and more into Christianity is a bad thing. This country was founded on bad ideas, bad principles, white, Christian, imperialist, slave owners, slobs. That's why they want to do away with our constitution. Tear the whole thing down. Let's start all over again. That's going to be interesting. You need it. The ability to respond. Rainy's going to come. Rainy has a testimony she wants to share. I'm going to go over to my guitar. We're going to start singing a couple songs. I'm going to invite you forward. We're going to come forward to the altar and have a
1: time of just worshiping. Hey, church family. How are you guys doing this morning? So he asked me to speak because um, I came here to work in August of last year. So just prior to that, I had friends that were um, I was doing Bible study with, and they were all about that I had to speak in tongues, and they were wrong. I was like, look, there's nothing wrong with me because that's how I felt. There's nothing wrong with me. Speaking in tongues is something that you do. It's totally fine. I'm a little weirded out by it if i got to tell you the truth, but whatever, it's not for me. And I have plenty of other evidence of the Holy Spirit indwelling in me. I have plenty of other evidence in my life. I don't need that. And so the more they talked about it, so then I started studying it. I went through the Bible, looked at all the passages, tried to study it. And then I started praying, Lord, look, I, like, I don't know what's up. If this is something that you think I need, then I would like you to give it to me. But if it's something that's just going to get in my way that I don't need, then I'm good with that too. I don't have to have anybody else tell me what I need. I need you to tell me what I need. And then I came to work here. <laughs> I don't think it's any secret that the two colliding was not a mistake. Because I will tell you, I have been training my whole life for this job and I never even knew it. It has got, and I'm, I'm a pretty capable little girl, I am. But I tell you, <laughs> Running this place has got me right up to here. Right up to here. Um, and so when I came here, we had the conversation. And they were, he says to me, just wait. <laughs> I was like, whatevs. And all about my way I went. It wasn't too long that I was here and uh, I got really sick one night. I don't know what happened, but I was, I was not well. My husband was working nights, so I was alone. And it was about two o'clock in the morning and I woke up and I was in trouble and I didn't know what kind of trouble I was in, but I knew I was in trouble and I started praying. Now this whole time I had been praying about the Lord blessing me with the gift of tongues if that was something that I needed, which I didn't think that I did. So I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I am, I'm scared. I don't know what's wrong, but something is wrong. And so I start praying and I'm praying like I've never before prayed in my life. Now, the combination of starting this job and onboarding this whole new thing that was such a beast was it took a lot. It took a lot out of me. It took a lot for for that to happen. And so as I am praying, all I can, like the only thing that I can tell you is it was like there was something rolling around in my mouth. And I'm praying and I'm thinking to myself, what is in my mouth? And then I could just keep thinking to myself, open your mouth. Open your mouth. And I wouldn't. I was still praying, would not open my mouth. And I'm literally, it was like, mm, like something was in there. And I was, like, I am alone in my bedroom. There is no one there. And I am like, I am praying. Like, I have, and the, have you ever been in a place where you have so much, and name any emotion you want, joy, sorrow, grief, that words are not capable of expressing whatever is happening. I was in a place where I needed God so bad right then that words could not express what I needed. And all of a sudden, I got myself to open my mouth, and the most beautiful language came out that I have ever heard in my entire life. To the point where I was like, it was almost like I was like, what is that beautiful sound? (laughs) And then it got really loud. To the point where at some point I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if my children can hear me. (laughs) Because it was so loud and so beautiful and almost melodic. And so... I was crying. I was praying in this beautiful language that cleansed me. I don't even know what other word to do. It was cleansing. I felt so different when I finally came out of it. And when I finished praying, I was like, oh, my. <laughs> that was a whole new thing. And that was amazing what a fabulous gift but i had to get myself to a place where i was ready to accept the gift he wanted to give me before he gave it to me and there it was and it was beautiful and i looked over at the clock and it had been an hour i was like i was just in the presence of jesus for an hour no wonder i feel light no wonder i f- he cleaned up all of the stuff that i couldn't handle in that one fell swoop. If you don't know anything about tongues, if you think it's weird, if it scares you, I have been there. What I would tell you is start praying to him about whether or not it's something that he wants you to have because I guarantee you he does because it is an amazing, cleansing, wonderful connection with our Jesus. That's what I would say.
0: let's just take a couple of moments and just seek him for whatever he would have. I'm going to encourage you to stand. I'm going to encourage you to come forward if you'd like to. And uh, there's just something about coming forward.